welcome to Dev Hell Podcast. I'm uh, one of your hosts, Chris Harkness, and on the other side here, I've got Ed. Say hello to the internet, Ed. Hello, everybody. I'm Ed. So, yeah, Ed, so we did this first one, and it uh, got a good reaction, and uh, we scared the crap out of a lot of people's pets with that awesome intro music. Yeah, that was good. I was happy about that. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so we're going to dive right into episode number two. We're probably going to end up talking for about the same period of time, maybe 90 minutes or so, and we have, as the kids like to say, an action-packed show, all full of lovely uh, ranty things to go on. And I was saying to Ed, just before we uh, started recording this, that uh, today it was my turn to be the very angry, ranty person that Ed usually is on the internet. And for that, I blame the fact that uh, my wonderful boss, Ben Ramsey, is on vacation today, and he usually talks me down from the ledge. And so since he's not here, and I believe he's on his way to visit family, I, uh, I went off the deep end a lot more than I usually do. And But a lot of that stuff generated some interesting uh, topics for this podcast. I'm glad that you could see a positive in all that stuff. <laughs> I know people keep telling me one day I'm going to regret all these things I'm saying on Twitter. Probably what happens once my oldest daughter gets on Twitter and she starts searching for what her old man has been talking about that I'm going to get into trouble. But I'll, uh, I'll take that when it comes. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so we asked some people who were foolish enough to listen to the first one, uh, some topics that uh, uh, they thought they might want us to talk about. So why don't you uh, start talking a, a bit about the first one on our wonderful list where some people were asking us about Git. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we were talking about what you know, we were asking people what they wanted to, wanted to hear discussed. And one of the guys was um, actually a guy who uh, has contributed a fair bit on Spaz, um, did a bunch of WebOS code for that. Um, and he was asking me, why does everybody use Git when it, uh, I'm paraphrasing, why does everybody use Git when it's so terrible? I, I'm not paraphrasing much. He was pretty, you know, thought it was pretty bad. Um, and that's a good question. Um, I actually am not enormously a fan of Git, um, but I there's two things. I like distributed version control stuff, and I guess I like the way it works better than centralized stuff like Subversion. Um, and that's good. And I guess I use Git because I learned it and so many other people use it. Um, I think that it's one of those things that it has appeal because it has sort of a critical mass and it has kind of a, and, and sometimes just the fact that a lot of other people use the technology is a big selling point for it, especially when you're talking about, um, open source and collaborative stuff, you sort of, in a lot of ways, you want to make that ability to collaborate easier, right? And yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, I, I can say from my own personal experience from using Git, because we use Git at Moontos, is that I had lots of experience using Subversion, and the things that Git is really good at that I dreaded doing when using Subversion was branching uh, and then merging those changes back to wherever they needed to go. I have found that Git it handles the merging stuff so much, way fucking easier than... I used to be able to do a subversion. But the thing that I have found with Git that I don't like is that when things go wrong, they tend to go horribly wrong. And you end up, I, I don't know about you, Ed, but I end up spending a lot of time uh, Googling, or as I like to tell people, DuckDuckGoing, because I use DuckDuckGo, um, for solutions to problems when you get a weird error message from Git during a merge or your attempt to resolve a conflict. It's like I, I, I like the distributed thing, and I find that 
branching and merging because we use uh, we use a, a workflow at Moontoast that involves a lot of branching and then merging uh, those branches into different branches for purposes of testing and, and releases and stuff like that. Uh, and I just found that part was so much easy. But when I merge and the thing just goes blows up on my face, I'm like, fuck, how the hell do I fix this now? And it seemed that under, under subversion, whereas it was a humongous pain in the ass to get branching and merging to go smoothly, your chances to fuck things up were very limited and that there was almost always a, a very well-known set of solutions to the problem. Yeah, I think that, you know, yeah, a lot of stuff you're talking about there is just that so many other people have used it that somebody has probably already solved your problem or asked your problem in a popular place that's Google-able and, or, you know, what have you. And what, what, first off, you distracted me because what the fuck is DuckDuckGo? Oh, you've never heard of DuckDuckGo. Okay, well, DuckDuckGo is just an alternate search engine. Um, Gabriel Weinberg as a developer. I'm trying to remember what, which, uh, what he's famous for. Hold on one second. Let me Google this while I talk to mm-hmm. you about this. Uh, it's just a I, search I love engine. The, I love the fact yeah. that you're looking up the guy. <laughs> Well, because I'm trying to remember because he's done. He did something else uh, before he did DuckDuckGo. I want to say Instapaper. I'm pretty sure he's okay. the guy who created Instapaper. Well, what? No, that's or, that's or, Marco. Or Marco meant. Well, yeah. I'm trying to remember what did. Ah, well, nothing. Duck, Didn't do anything. DuckDuckGo creator. I'm even using his own search engine. You think no. I could find him on it? Hold on. Yeah, you think. Like, uh, do, do, do. Yeah, Gabriel Weinberg. So let's see what he's done yeah. before because he's done other stuff. Uh, oh man! Oh fuck it! I'm not gonna bother looking anymore. So really, you have no. So right now, I just you, I can't I can't remember. I'm just I'm trying to find no justification for using this at all. <laughs> of course, there's there, there's always justification <laughs> for doing something. It may just be flimsy, but it uh, um, there is one. Hold on, let's see. Did you switch uh, this after you after you went back to Alta Vista for a while and then? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is the best part I'm of the podcast. I'm trying to find it, and I feel shitty because I can't find it. Well, uh, he has a he has a link here of all his. Okay, so all yes, all his uh, uh, side projects. Let's see here. Right. He did this. I did that. I'm trying to find one that everyone know. He did. Groupomatic, Nth Club. He did DuckDuckGo. He's an angel investor because he made money selling his other stuff. Well, uh, he did this. He did the same names database. I've been using it for actually about a year, so it's okay. not a it's not a Chris come lately thing to it. Right. So, so what do you what do you like about it? They um, okay. Number one, they don't store your personal information like Google does. That seems appealing. Right. Uh, secondly, they have all these cool sort of um, little syntax shortcuts you can use. So, if you, for example, I use it all the time to search the PHP documentation. Oh, yeah. uh, in Chrome, you can hack your wonderful address bars to type search terms in, and you can get it to run through DuckDuckGo. So, I'll do like bang PHP, and then the command space and the command I'm looking for, and it'll go right to the PHP documentation for that particular function. Oh, okay. And they do all sorts of little things like that. If you go to duckduckgo.com, everything's up there. I'm, I'm telling you, Ed, he's done something else other than this before, and I remember coming on this because somebody said, oh, yeah, he did this project before, and now this is his thing that he's doing uh, 
instead of this other project. And so I started using it. So I just, I've been very terrible at, at tracking down um, what he's done. So he's done a whole bunch of different stuff, but. Um, well, he's, he's in crunch base, so he must be important. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so he did this thing called names database, which is essentially, he says it's essentially uh, a version of classmates.com and he sold and they sold right. it to classmates and that's how he made all his money. Well, I guess so, I, you see that's so what you got to do. So good for him, right? Good for him. You have to find something really fucking stupid and make your money off of that and then do things that are interesting but won't make any money. <laughs> see, we want about that the wrong way. I sh- I'm doing stuff I enjoy and it's never going to make any money. So, yeah. Um, let's see here. Oh well, he's got a he's got a dig profile, so we should be in good shape. Maybe Eli knows him. <laughs> he could, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't. I think he just he just has a profile on Dig. I'm not sure. I don't think he actually. I hope yeah. not. Oh wait, wait. I know. I'm just I'm just kidding. I love Eli, and I'm gonna keep making fun of him until Marco Tabini gives me the T-shirt that I was promised. Marco saw Eli, and he has a T-shirt for me. And when I went out for dinner with Marco the other right. day, he actually forgot to bring the T-shirt. So I've son been- of a. I know I've been harassing Marco mercilessly on uh, via uh, private message to drive out to my compound uh, in the suburbs of Toronto and uh, deliver the T-shirt to me. Seems like less of a compound if you're in the suburbs. Well, yeah. Well, uh, as much of a compound as a thirty-six foot a thirty-six foot wide lot's going to get you, I guess. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. So, so back to the ramblings about Git. So, yeah, right. So, so to tell our friend. I think we can say you're fucking dumb and Git is actually easy to use. It's just that when things blow up, they blow up really good to use an SCTV uh, uh, obscure sketch reference. When they blow up, they blow up real good. Yeah, I think that, you know, I think part of the the thing is that I like, I like, okay, relative to something like CVS, or which is really horrible, and then Subversion, which is slightly less horrible. Um. Git is really good. I think, you know, conceptually and the stuff it does. I think the problems that I have is that I think Git really feels like it was written by some guys who are Linux kernel hackers. And of course, there's a reason for that because it was written by Linux kernel hackers to work on the Linux kernel. And so it is, it seems wildly inconsistent and like seems like it grew completely organically. Um, and doesn't have very good design in terms of like consistency or uh, naming. You know, maybe maybe it's got consistent naming conventions in and of itself, but to me, it seems like just fucking gibberish most of the time. Um, my impression is that uh, stuff like Mercurial um, is better put together and cleaner and easier to use, but less people use it, and it doesn't have our, all this momentum behind it with GitHub, which I, I honestly think that if GitHub just magically went away and there was no no thing like GitHub uh, that worked as well as it does um, for sharing and collaborating on code and projects, uh, I think that the relative dominance of Git would be much less. Uh, oh, I have to 100% agree with you. Yeah. GitHub, GitHub is the thing that drives Git adoption because you get the few early adopters who start working on projects and they put it up on GitHub, and then the only way to grab their only not it's not just the way to grab it, but the way to contribute back to it 
and play with it is you have to learn how to use Git. So I think you're right. If GitHub were to go away, um, you, you know, maybe Git would, you know, Git would suddenly uh, drop down in popularity amongst the the programmer proud. Yeah, I have, and I worry about it sometimes because, like, we, well, you know, I anyone who points pokes around will see that, like, we actually host our, the web pages for our the website for this podcast on GitHub. And we, so it's integrated pretty, you know, I use GitHub for a ton of stuff, right? And it makes it really easy to just put stuff up there and dive in and things like that. But um, one of the things I do worry about it a little bit with GitHub, and this is kind of, this is a parallel discussion to Git. It really doesn't have to do with Git itself, but it has to do with putting data inside, um, you know, privately held organizations that you don't control. And it's, um, it's a, it's really appealing with Git in that you have GitHub, which makes it it's, it's very little friction to getting your stuff online and collaborating fast with people. Um, now, if you re, if you remove that and you're just like just set up your own Git repo and with its own web hosting and stuff like that that you do yourself, that's giant hassle. I don't know, you know, if you're looked into it, but it's very it's not it's non-trivial. It's very non-trivial oh, yeah, I, to do yeah. that. I remember using Gitorius or Gitorius, however you want to pronounce it. Right. Uh, with with some help from Travis uh, Swicegood, and that was a humongous pain in the ass. Yeah. To I, do. Now there's a Gitorius like a, a I guess you'd say a GitHub equivalent, right? That um, uh, it, but you can also just take the code and run it yourself, right? But it's not it's not easy to do. And there's there's simpler like just you know web hooks, HTTP hooks for Git and all that junk. But it's 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 pretty non-trivial. It's as it's at least as hard as setting up your own subversion hosting, which is you know not particularly easy, but. Um, yeah, so, I don't know, it's one of those things that, you know, uh, I think there's probably better solutions out there from a purely technical standpoint, but there's other, there's other considerations, I think, oftentimes, beyond just purely how, you know, what's the technology like, because sort of like the, you know, the amount, the number of people, the amount of people, and the culture around it makes a big difference in terms of, it because we don't, you know, guys like you and me don't develop. We don't work and develop and do this stuff in a vacuum. Yeah, I mean, one of the things too that I, I wanted to ask you about is how. I'm, I mean, we use GitHub, uh, of course, private stuff, so no one can snoop and see my garbage code that I write. But do you, do you guys at uh, Gimme Bar? Do you use any of the more advanced stuff that GitHub offers? Even stuff like I've wondered about uh, integrating like pull requests into this thing as a, as a way of doing code reviews and how uh, all submit all changes and all commits kind of have to be done as pull requests to, so that the, if you have this culture where you need to do code reviews for whatever reason, uh, that the way you sort of protect you, the way you can provide some protection for your, for your central repo uh, or your central branch, whatever the main line you choose to use is, is using something like pull requests to act as sort of a filtering mechanism. Uh, I mean, I know that at Moontoast, we don't do much of that stuff. We're just basically using GitHub as our, uh, just as our repo because we ran one ourselves and again it was just another server up on EC2 that we had to maintain so it was we decided it would be far easier to just let GitHub worry about all that stuff so do you guys make any use of some of the more advanced stuff that GitHub offers we are doing our own hosting right now 
our own Git hosting. So, um, oh, I thought you yeah. guys were using GitHub. Oh, okay. So we we host uh, like some stuff that we've open sourced. Um, on, we put it up on GitHub, but but yeah, we use our we use our own hosting for the fictive kin stuff. Um, I don't disagree with any of those like things about uh, you know what it's worth it to you to sort of maintain stuff as opposed to. Uh, having control over it, and I, I think those are just kind of things you have to weigh. Um, I do worry about it sometimes, where I'll, you know, it didn't bother me because I was like, oh, I'm just using free accounts. Why do I care about it? But uh, you know, when I would see occasionally GitHub going down for a few hours, and then it's like I can't, you know, people who are actually like trying to get work done can't do anything, and that. So I can kind of see the worry. You know, I can I can see the concern there. It's just I guess that you know that's what you. What do you have to balance with doing it? Um, right now, though, you know, you could do the same kind of things with other stuff. GitHub obviously makes it easier to do integrations with that kind of thing, I think. Um, right now, all we're doing is just basic, hey, when the commits come in, um, like, we'll do some stuff like it'll auto-rebuild, like, our, our or auto-recompress and minify our JavaScript. Um and put it up on the, like it puts up the, the code and the staging server off of our master branch and junk like that. So there's a few little things, but, and it like emails us about, you know, this is the commit and da 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 da. But um, it doesn't do anything too fancy about like kicking off any other processes. But uh, so there's a couple things, a couple hooks that we use, uh, excuse me, that I think can be pretty useful. Um, I think it wouldn't be too far if we were committed to uh, a more integrated testing system. I think it wouldn't be too. It would be a pretty simple step to be like, well, as long as we're doing, you know, uh, deployment onto our shared development server, we can also kick off it, kick it off to run an automated test suite, and then you know, and then email the results of that back. I think that would be a pretty simple thing to you know step to go from there. Yeah, I was just curious because I can see ways of uh, trying to leverage some of the additional features that GitHub offers and actually use them from uh, as part of a, a development flow um, process. I mean, I like the idea of pull requests as a way of me being able to look at other people's code and say, why are you doing that and get it changed so we don't end up with the... Uh, the three or four follow, <clears throat> excuse me, three or four follow-up commits to fix teeny tiny little problems. But anyway, I'm getting bored of Git. I think we've talked about Git enough. I agree. So, so let's go on to the other ranty thing that I talked about um, today. Yes, so please. this start this so this started off with me uh, doing what I would consider actually an out of character uh, complaint about PHP still being shit upon everywhere that it goes. Uh, by the uh, rest of the programming, uh, the web programming community, and uh, it's okay um, for us to shit on it, but not anyone else. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's yeah, you're you're absolutely correct. So, and this degenerated. Well, maybe degenerated is the yeah. That's probably is the correct word. It went into where I started asking some people um, about uh, given the following scenario where you have roughly equal skills in um, JavaScript and Python, why would you pick Node uh, over Tornado? Because Tornado seems to be the new hotness for doing um, asynchronous event-driven uh, applications in the Python world, whereas Twisted is powerful. 
but learning twisted is like uh, I don't know. People, everyone has said that it's it's difficult and it's kludgy and that you really have to read documentation and everybody it's like one of those things where everybody uses encounters the same set of problems and they end up worshiping at the same altars to get the solutions. So because the reason I ask this is because this has to do with JavaScript and I know you're a big JavaScript guy and I'm probably I like the Python stuff. Uh, obviously, because we've discussed this before, uh, not during the podcast, but other places. So I just wanted a kind of an honest opinion. And, and I have to be honest with you, Ed. One of the things that bugged me is that I felt like a lot of people were ignoring what I actually said. And because people were like, oh, well, you know, you can find more help with JavaScript. Like, okay, fine. You can probably find just as much help online from Python. But when somebody talked about, well, you know, you probably have designers can't stitch anything together for you um, if you're doing Python. And and maybe I mischaracterized because it was your buddy Sean Coates who talked about that. And, and maybe I mischaracterized that, but I thought, I thought for fuck's sakes, that's not the question that I asked. So this comes down to like, because, and also some people correctly identified that uh, uh, Twisted would let you use uh, libraries that block. So then you thereby lose all the advantage of, of trying to do this event driven stuff. But I mean, you probably have some limited exposure to Node. So my question for you about this, it would be, well, so is Node? Does Node help protect you from this because you can't use anything with Node unless somebody has written a library specifically tailored towards Node, or could you shoot yourself in the ass the same way by trying to use some sort of library within Node that blocks? Uh, you uh, now, I'm not a Node expert. My experience is limited, but I have some experience with it. Specifically about that, and somebody can, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but my belief about it or my understanding about it is that um, Node by default and everything it does will do asynchronous operations. So that means, like, I, and, and it, within its included functionality, I guess maybe you'd say it's standard library or what have you. Um, there are some cases where you can do block blocking operations in certain places. Um, like I think you can force it to do a blocking file read or write or something like that. But generally, that's really actively discouraged, right? Um, so what you have is uh, the the idea is that it's sort of built into it, and also then it would go along with the libraries that are built upon it or extensions that are that you know people do. Uh, is that it really avoids uh, doing blocking stuff. One of the things to go along with that, though, is that it, um, you know, Node by itself can't, like, fork another process. So, and it's not multi-threaded. So there's certain things that you will run into, like that if it does block it, it really like, screws it up. So, that you know, that's one of the things that it can do. As long as you keep everything... Um, non-blocking uh it can do stuff really fast but it's you know it 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 follows a pretty particular model of do everything asynchronously um i because i'm not experienced with uh tornado i can't i can't comment on whether or not that's good or bad you know or or how that compares really yeah you know and i can tell you uh, that i'm no expert with tornado i've written exactly probably 20 lines of code just based on a tutorial. But you do raise a, an interesting point because the same thing, you could basically uh, say the same thing about if you're going to do something with Tornado or Twisted or uh, I believe on the uh, Ruby side of the world, they use a thing called Event Machine. It's basically the same thing. 
you have to pick your libraries um, very carefully, and right. uh, just don't pick one that uh, that's blocking I/O because it's because right. I mean that's really what it boils down to. So I, I think I, in in some ways what I was saying was a little, was just like show me for sure why I should pick Node over Tornado, uh, and give me a fact other than that Node is hot and all the uh, PHP haters are loving it. So, well, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, obviously, um, I, I think there's some of that. Um, I think that there are. I mean, the reason the times when I've chosen Node haven't really been based on that. Um, but I've chosen it for doing actually sort of like I don't know. I guess more shell slash utility stuff that it tends to, it kind of lends itself to, to some extent. Um, and a lot of that, where it lends itself to that, it has to do with the fact that um, that it's JavaScript. Uh, I, I know, like, for example, there's some technical things to do with that, but the simple fact that you're writing JavaScript is is appealing on some level because um, there are there's a good chance that if you take, I don't know, a if you just randomly pick 10 guys who say, I do web development stuff, right? There's a good chance that I would say 75% of them have at least written some JavaScript, if not more than that. So that sort of makes it a kind of a nice common uh, like baseline to work in. So for some things... Uh, like, uh, like what, um, like what Sean was talking about, what Sean, one of the big things he did was he did, he, we actually haven't done a bunch of stuff with servers necessarily in node at fictive kin. What, what we've actually done is we've tended to write more client stuff, uh, that things that utilities that we'd run from the command line to do things like he wrote a, like a, a thing called web shell, which is sort of like a, I guess you could magic imagine it kind of like a JavaScript-y uh, REPL for HTTP. Yeah, right? I've played with it. Right, so, with so we ended up writing a number of utilities, um, some which have worked out better than others, uh, in Node just because, okay, we had a, a set of our team and we've got some guys who have experience in a variety of different languages. But every one of us has touched JavaScript, at least to some extent. So it makes it kind of a good baseline for that. Um, so there's now there's some things I'd say about this though, like I personally would not try to make Node like the central piece of my web stack like the way I would with say Apache plus PHP or Apache plus Python or you know something like that or nginx plus php or nginx plus whatever you know right um and there's a couple reasons for that one um there's just a general thing of both of those projects apache and nginx are really mature and node is not node is only on a 0.6 release now a lot of people are using it for stuff but um i think it's still telling that every time they do a point release they break a, a fair bit of backwards compatibility to the point where um, you know all the libraries that you downloaded with NPM that uh, ran fine under Node 
0.4, well, now you're going to have to upgrade all of them, or you're going to have to wait for that, those guys to fix all the incompatibilities. Um, that has bitten us in the ass a few times. Um, because, oh, well, Node upgraded, and now we want to, we want to go and install it, and do we install the newest version of Node, which is supposed to be stable, and then hope that all the libraries we installed work, or do we have to stick at 0.4? And, or, you know, 0.2. We built a bunch of stuff under 0.2, and it didn't work under 0.4 for quite a while. Like, a bunch of libraries we were using didn't work anymore. Um... You know, so user land libraries, you know, JavaScript stuff that we installed via NPM, a bunch of stuff, you know, it you run into a ton of problems like that where libraries that worked, um, if you wait three months now, they don't work anymore. Um, you know, that, uh, and it's not like it's magic, but what it is is that, well, you've either got to decide that you're going to freeze on a particular version and not make any changes, like a freeze on a particular version of Node, or you're constantly going to have to be you're you're essentially going to have to be responsible for every single line of code that you're using. Um, I think, no. yeah, and I think that's a pretty fair analysis. I will say what I should probably do is follow up this ranty stuff at some point um, when I get my book done, if I ever get that damn thing done. That you're not going uh, to. Is, well, no, well, I'm on the last chapter. Never happened. So it's, not, it's, it's not that bad. Yeah, right. I'll just give you an autograph copy, just uh, a PDF with my signature scrawled on it somehow for you. Yeah, um, just somehow yeah, should... take a shit on it and send it to me. Yeah. <laughs> All right, no, go, I'm sorry, but go ahead. Yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, you almost derailed me. So sorry uh, I should probably create something in Tornado uh, just to see how much work it is and compare it to some of the um, some of the stuff I see being done with Note. I mean. Stuff like Node is is definitely the way that uh, application architecture seems to be moving anyway. Little lightweight services doing stuff, but I think just like because I remember last week I tweeted about a, a, a link from I think it was from uh, Bob Martin, Robert Martin, the famous uh, developer who's all known as Uncle Bob. I don't know if you've ever heard of the guy, but you might. Yeah, I think might. so. Yeah. He talked about how he felt that the next big sort of paradigm for programming is right around the corner, but it hasn't come yet. And it's the idea of, of where we still don't have languages that run, uh, that will utilize the cores. Oh, yeah, yeah. The server. Mm-hmm. But they're not written to do that yet. So he's of the opinion that the, that the, the a solution for that is coming, that somebody is working on it right now. We just don't know it yet. Right. And so it, it kind of seems, because again, with Node, right now, Node, doesn't take advantage of any of that stuff, and maybe at some oh. point it will. But I just I think what annoys me when I get down to what annoys me about Node is that my old fart of a brain says JavaScript belongs in the browser, and that's the way it was, and that's the way we like it, and it's going to work that way both hills, uh, both ways uphill uh, in winter time. So right, uh, I know what you mean. I I think yeah. one of the things that helped me a lot was uh, when I was really learning JavaScript like a few years ago when I first really dived into it uh, was learning the core language as opposed to the language that's as it's def- as it exists within browsers because most of the you know there's tons of there's tons of stuff that gets taught as this is JavaScript but really what it is is these are APIs that the browser provides but they're not part of the JavaScript language they're not part of the core language and the core language itself is actually really small and this is a breath of fresh air compared to PHP because, you know, with PHP, you have like, a, what, like 5,000 global, you know, 
things uh, and stuff like that. And in um, in JavaScript, it's a it's a very small, succinct language. Um, and learning that, I think it changed my perspective a little bit about it. Now, at the time when I started with it, Node didn't exist. There were there was some server side stuff that you know some different things, and some of them were interesting and appealing. Uh, and but none of them have had the uh, have taken off to the extent that Node has. Um, I think that I, you know, I think what I, what I find in the end is that, uh, nodes an interesting and, um, when applied, uh, sparingly can be very useful in certain situations. I think that as Ed, that is the most weaselly thing I've ever heard you say to me <laughs> in person, like, could you hedge your bets anymore? It's kind of. I, like saying, I like no, but I don't want to offend the Node fanboys. Fuck all that, Ed. <laughs> you know what? But you are right to a certain extent, and I wanted to cut in and cut in and say that I also think that uh, I think what you say rings very, very true about taking the time to learn the core of JavaScript, not just how to do JavaScript in the browser. And for that reason, and I can shill a book that I really believe in that is good for that is Eloquent JavaScript, which I have a copy. I can see it sitting on my bookcase in my office while we're recording that. Mm. Awesome book. I read that on a plane uh, when I was traveling somewhere with my wife. And um, I thought, yes, if I had to go, if I wanted to really get in-depth on JavaScript, I would go back and run through all the examples in that book. Because that book was really nothing to do at all, really, with the DOM. It focused on just, we're going to, you're going to learn how to do some JavaScript. Right, and so I think there's a lot of really cool and appealing stuff about JavaScript and and about Node, but I also think that um, I think that it is not what I the, the, these are kind of mealy mouth words too, but I don't think it's a proven technology, and I think my experience has been where I, I tried to build some utilities to do stuff like um, like we 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 were doing some things to do functional testing with. Um, uh, zombie, uh, which is a library which is, is designed to let you write, uh, basically lets Node pretend to be a web browser and lets you yes, write yes, stuff. Yes, I, yeah, I, I'm familiar with that because I ran across some information I had found on a blog post about uh, using a very similar thing to Zombie but called Phantom JS to do the exact yep. similar sort of thing where this was a lovely combination of, of a behavioral driven development framework plus this adapter thing, plus something else in JavaScript that can act as a unified interface to talk to browsers, and then you would use PhantomJS as your browser, and through a whole bunch of dicking around with configuration settings, you could get your PHP code to pop open PhantomJS, uh, load up a page, and you could get information from the DOM and all that other stuff, which is which right. gives such a hard-on for doing fun. So, so yeah, right. So. You broke up there a little bit, uh, but um, the so PhantomJS had is interesting because it's more it's basically like a headless web kit, um, and that is a little bit nicer because um, what you find is that when I delved into Zombie and the guys the guys who worked on it certainly put way more work into it than I would have and did a really good job on that stuff, um, but the the thing you come away from it is that it's actually really hard to write. Um, HTML and JavaScript interpreters and make it all work inside a browser thing. So it's a it's a very non-trivial task, and uh, so what you find is that 
what I, our experience was that yeah, stuff worked in a limited subset, but then when it broke, it was just it just didn't adapt to your stuff. Like it just wouldn't work, you know. And you you would have to get in there and hack around with the libraries and figure out why it's not doing this. And you know what I use what my sort of my standard going thing here is that from all from my experience is that if you want to dive in and use Node in you know really heavily in your stuff, you have to be prepared to be responsible for every single line of user space code that's that runs in your application. So all those stuff all the like libraries you might install with npm or stuff like that, there's a good chance that in, you know, if you upgrade uh your node binary or you maybe upgrade uh some uh, another library comes out, just tons of shit will break. Um it's very very cutting edge and you basically have to be prepared to patch and hack and do whatever you need to do to keep your stuff running. You have to be responsible for every single one of those lines of code. Otherwise, it, I don't think it's sustainable at all. It's not... It, 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 I, w- I certainly would not try to build, say, a standard um, uh, you know, web application uh, in the ways that I'm used to with, uh, with proven technologies like PHP, Apache, and Nginx, stuff like that, and expect that, yes, it will actually be running great in two years from now, even if I do point release upgrades and things like that. Cool. Well, I guess almost like anything, I, w- I would imagine that if I was building, building something with Tornado, that I would probably be expecting to have to do the same thing, examine very carefully every line of code that I write, and also make sure that all the libraries that I'm using... Uh, can withstand the test of time too. So again, now right. I'm bored about Node. Yeah, bored about Node. I'll, I'll probably never use Node. I'll probably just do it on a tornado just to give everyone a big middle finger. Just screw those so, guys. That's right. Screw those those JavaScript hipsters like Ed Finkler. So yeah, fuck that guy. So, <laughs> so the next thing I want to talk about, and this is something we talked about just before we started recording, and you uh, fortunately weren't following any of this online, probably because you're probably because you you don't uh, follow the person I was talking to. No, I do actually. I think. Oh, you do, you I just follow- I just wasn't paying attention. I have to turn off Twitter. I I get so little done even when Twitter like Twitterific is off right. that when I turn it on, it's just a hundred times worse. So I have to turn it off throughout the day. Yeah, that, that's why I've started just usually running Twitter just on my iPhone, and the iPhone sits off to the side with uh, with the volume turned off, so I can't hear the constant chirping as messages go. Oh, so uh, so online, and of course we're going to shame some people, and I don't I don't really care, but. Uh, <laughs> Lucas uh, Lucas Smith, Lucas Kaiway Smith, a nice guy, German guy. I've I've met him a couple of times at other conferences. Yeah, good guy. He's, um, he's an unabashed um, Symphony Two fanboy. There's uh, yeah, I know. So there's, <laughs> yeah. there's there's fanboys of every technology and every framework out there. Right. And I remember my time as a Cake PHP fanboy, and so. So last night, he had done a, a tweet about where he was looking at trends about stuff. He had put up some bullshit graphic where he's looking at Google trends about different frameworks. And I was trying to Ugh. make sense of all this stuff. So I asked him, you know, what, what is this data supposed to be about? And so he says, oh, it's just some interesting data that I had collected. And it was about trends. I guess number of, I think it was the number of people who've committed something on GitHub or some sort of metric. I, I don't think that really matters. Okay. So, so then today he posts. Well, after giving the data uh, careful consideration, uh, I think Symphony Two is the one framework with the greatest velocity of development. 
And so I saw that. I thought, what a load of horseshit. And so I called him out on it on Twitter. Right. I said, what a big shock. A Symphony 2 fanboy proclaiming Symphony 2 is the best. And right. I did. And I did slash me rolls my eyes. So Lucas, who I notice is hyper-defensive about all this stuff on Twitter, which is why it's fun to troll him and poke at him, like any little kid learns very quickly about older siblings, uh, said, oh, if you don't like what I'm doing, then unfollow me. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, no, I'm not unfollowing you because this is just about to get interesting. <laughs> I, I said to him, I said to him, I said, how about you present some information about some flaws in Symphony? And so he goes off and, and does about four or five tweets, responding to me, and he still wouldn't answer the question. Because I pointed out, I said, I said you're a fanboy, and you're, re- and you're doing research as a fanboy. And you're letting the research come to a conclusion that you've already decided is, uh, is correct. And, and so he like says, oh, well, you didn't see the messages between me and this other guy where we talked about changes we would have to make to the... Uh, symphony api and i'm like yeah that's no that's not the issue at all show me something that you've done that that says symphony isn't symphony 2 isn't up to the task and then of course he revealed the true colors which said you don't expect me to say as a symphony 2 supporter to say anything bad about symphony and i felt like see you've just proved it that you can you and and this is the thing that a lot of uh fanboys try to do and i think it's really a passive aggressive nerd thing too or you say, well, I've done research. I'm like, I don't give a shit about your research. If you just keep coming up with facts that say that, that your favorite pet, te- pet technology is awesome, it's all horseshit because you're not willing to – I'm thinking you should be willing to sit down and do uh, – and do. you can't be objective when you're opinionated about something. And so he tried to say, oh, I'm opinionated, but I'm, object- I'm objective. And Ed, come on. You know this. It's right. bullshit. You, yeah. can't be, you can't be opinionated about something and be objective about the very same topic. Yeah, I think it's tough. It's funny because I actually heard a good – there's a, a podcast with um, this guy, John Syracuse, who's he's, – he's written a lot about technology and primarily related to Apple. Um, you might know him because he sort of he, – he writes these – whenever there's a new version of uh, OS X or OS ten, whatever you want to fucking call it, comes out. Um, he writes these enormously detailed reviews for Ars Technica, um, like 30-page yes, reviews. Yes, I know this guy. As soon as you said Ars Technica, yes, I'm familiar with yeah. the 27-page uh, uh, reviews of uh, changes to the menu bar on the top of the screen. Yes, I think they're great because he is he is very detailed about an examination of stuff and is um, one of the things I appreciate about it is that he is uh, very open about you know pointing out you know, places he feels like they've made mistakes, and I enjoy that. Um, now, uh, I think that um, so he he does a podcast called Hypercritical, and they actually had this discussion about. Uh, I guess it was related to uh, John Gruber, and it was discussion because I think John Gruber does a does a podcast on the same network or the oh, same podcast. John network. Gruber from Daring Fireball, right. biggest Apple fanboy. Uh, other than Steve Jobs, <laughs> yeah. Well, I've seen worse, but the uh, the I guess the thing where he was kind of getting at was that what Syracuse brought up was I guess there had been some discussion about like well was a actually I think Gruber was on a video show that Joshua Topolsky from The Verge does anyway. It's, these fucking things. Who cares? Point is that he talked about something called what he called. 
you know being partisan so maybe uh maybe a better word than than fanboy um but it sort of means the same thing that uh or it, it is that when when you're partisan you eh, I'll probably screw up his argument but the, the or what he exactly meant but the point is that you'll look around for any evidence that already support you basically you have a claim and when you're partisan in that you have sort of chosen the claim that you or the the thing that you want to believe ahead of time um your tendency is going to be to find evidence and arguments that support that to the exclusion of other arguments and i think i'm screwing up a little bit based on what he said but uh but or at least what his intent was but i'll make it my intent now Anyway, the point is that I think a lot of people tend to do that. That, and I, I guess it's at the end of the day, it comes down to: do we feel confident about our choices enough to be to either one say that they're wrong, or just say, "Well, it's fine if you use something else. I use what's good for me," and you know, and that's it, and that's all the argument you need. Um, a lot of times, that's hard to do, and I remember, because I guess we put. Um, a lot of investment of ourselves and our self-worth in the things that we choose to use and surround ourselves with and stuff like that. And there's sort of this fear that if, well, if we're using the wrong thing or we're buying the wrong thing or we're using the wrong thing, then that means there's something wrong with us. And I remember, the, I think the first time this I was really introduced to this was I used to do um, video game fanzines when I was a kid. I started doing them when I was 14, right? And so this was pre-internet. This would have been like 1989, um, at least pre-me on the internet. Um, and it was it was what you had. You had these like people who were just rabid fanboys about, like, say, a certain console. Like the Super Nintendo fucking kicks ass, bro, and you can play the best version of Street Fighter Two on there. And then other dude was like, no, the Genesis kicks ass because the version of Mortal Kombat on there has blood in it, and the version of Mortal Kombat on the Super Nintendo doesn't have any blood in it. And, you know, stupid shit like that. Like, that stuff really matters. But this is what matters to kids at the day. Um, and they would get, just get rabid about it, and they were so hostile. And, and actually, I mean, people still do this today. I mean, I still see the same kind of stupid discussions about, you know, Xbox 360 versus PlayStation 3 and shit like that on, you know, on video game discussion boards now. Um, which is why I pretty much avoid them. But the point is, it just, you know, back then, I guess I sort of realized it, it's like people, they just tied up their own self-worth in this shit. And at the end of the day, I don't know, man. I just feel like use what's good for you, and if it works for you, great. And if it works in your situation, great. And have reasons, you know, to say this is why it works for me in this situation. I think you have to think critically about it. But also appreciate that it may or may not work great in other kinds of situations. Yeah, and in, in this case, my objection was this bullshit about how I'm opinionated, but I can be objective. And that's what really bothered me about, and Lucas has done this sort of uh, thing before in presenting other information about uh, Symphony 2. I mean, from a, from a programming perspective, from someone who's used frameworks a lot, there is a lot to like about the approach that Symphony 2 has taken where they are trying to be modular and lightweight and allow you to only pull in the stuff that you want. But it's like, I feel like 
you got to call bullshit sometimes when you see it and, and saying stuff like, oh, I always do research. So, yeah, you do research to prove the thing that you want to be true. And there, he's no different than a lot of other scientists do it. Uh, people who don't believe in climate change do it. People who believe in specific religions, they do this sort of thing all the time. They find a set of facts that match uh, what their opinion is. And I think you you really described the partisan thing. I just like using fanboy because it's a lot more offensive than saying yes, uh, it, partisan. Because you, you can't call someone a framework partisan. It just doesn't have that same sting to it when you want to slander someone as being a fanboy of a particular technology. Yeah, it's not quite as dismissive as we want to be, you know? Oh, and I'm all about the dismissive, man. I'm all about the dismissive. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, and then, uh, you know, not to... Well, maybe you want to pick on Lucas. I, 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 I think that you know, I, I, for what it's worth, he was sort of he sort of defended me a little bit when I was talking about how uh, I really wanted. I, I think I was going off on a little bit of a rant the other week about uh, how sick I was of these big monolithic frameworks and how I really wanted there to be just like small single-purpose libraries that would work with anything and didn't make assumptions about you know, dependencies on, on frameworks and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I talked about, um, and I kind of got into a discussion with a guy who, you know, it's, it seems like every time I bring up this kind of thing, Symphony 2 guys start coming out of the framework or out of the woodwork framework. Jesus. Coming out of the framework. Fuck. <laughs> uh, coming out of the woodwork. And they're like, Hey, you know, you could use this Symphony 2 component. And, and I'm like, you know what? I, I've looked at it and you know, you say it's just like a simple component, but there's like, there's like 600 fucking files in it, dude. You know, I mean, yeah, I saw your joke about saying that I was going to need the uh, symphony printer component. Yeah. Come on, bro. I mean, (laughs) you you know, so that's a whole nother discussion, but I, Lucas was actually was, they said, Hey, I can see why it appeals to you. And I, I had posted up that resty library that I wrote and he was like, yeah, I can see what you're doing here. And I think that works, that might work really well in the, in a smaller team and stuff like that. And that's fine. So, you know, I don't know. I, I think that, I think there's also a tendency that, you know, you're going to, a lot of the conclusions you're going to say about like, what do I use oftentimes come down to what am I comfortable with already? And because it's, I don't know. I I mean, the big one of the big reasons I never use Symphony or Symphony Two is because I find it, I find there to be an enormous learning curve with it, just because there's so much shit in it. They abstract stuff so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. You get caught. You get caught in a framework trap, and I can talk about this briefly. Is that once you use a couple of different frameworks, the concepts all start to be kind of the same, and then you're really just kind of learning the the slight differences in them. Like, I mean, we use a, a really hacked up Symphony One application as our main moneymaker at, right. at Moon Toast. And I would love to just go in and say, okay, we know how this thing is supposed to work, but there's all this extra cruft because of the way that Symphony One did things. It would be so nice to go back and duplicate what we've done with something lightweight, more modular. And I mean, let's be honest. The reason why Symphony 2 is getting all the love is because they're out ahead of they're out ahead of Zen framework. Matthew, um, MWAP and all the boys, they got a late start on uh, working on um, Zen Framework 2. And will they catch up? I doubt it. Um, so they'll always be uh, in the shadow that Symphony will always be loudly trumpeting that they were there first. So I mean uh, once you've used frameworks, using other frameworks no longer becomes a problem. And then the problem you have is with frameworks that do things uh, differently 
from everybody else. You don't want to use frameworks that I'm cool with that. And I don't, I don't think I would have much fun if we did an entire podcast of me yelling at you about why you don't use a framework. I think I'll have a lot more fun when we do the podcast where I yell at you about why you don't write tests all the time. That'll be a lot more, uh, that's that'll a, be a lot more fun experience. That's a better thing to yell at me about. But I, now I, I'll just, uh, now we're going off on a tangent, but I actually do like using frameworks. But the thing is, is I don't like importing huge libraries of code into my data into into my code base and i don't understand how much of it works um so the frameworks that like i've used in the past i use code igniter which um i think is i guess the way that it's written it made a little more sense to me because it seemed more straightforward it seemed more like i could really tell what each each line of code what what task it was doing right um and I felt like it was a more straightforward approach. Um, lately, uh, I've been using uh, Slim, which is a PHP 5.3. I guess you can run it under 5.2, too. But basically, it's a quote-unquote micro-framework, whatever the fuck that means. But really what it gives you is just like um, handling of request and response objects and a, like a stub for... Uh, rendering out views, and that's basically it. Oh, and like session stuff and things like that. Yeah, right. I've I've, I've seen Slim. I think I looked at it one, the one time when you you probably tweeted about it. And right. really, at this point, that's what I really kind of look for in a framework. Just let it handle um, the route. Let it handle uh, taking in my requests, figuring out what should happen with that request, and then figuring out how to spit the stuff out, and then everything else. I'm okay with either writing myself or stealing from somebody else and importing it in. Because uh, I don't want to, there's certain things that I don't want to write by hand anymore. Auth libraries, uh, access control right. stuff. Um, some things I just, I like, I've written them enough times, I really don't want to write the 17th iteration of one of these things. Right. So, um, so, and, and it seems like Symphony is trying very, very hard, very, very hard to say that we have all this stuff but you don't have to use it all, which I really think is the correct message to be sending to people. Not that, oh, we've got everything, but it's like we have all this stuff, but you don't necessarily have to use it all if you don't want to. Because I hear you, to do something, you don't want to have, like you said, 600 lines of code to implement one little tiny feature and code that you don't understand and probably don't want to have to wade through the actual source code to figure out what it's doing. Yeah, I think the thing that I find kind of find funny is um, that uh, I would have people talking to me about, I, I would say, what I really want, like, it, for example, is having a request and response object in PHP, because I think that's fundamental to what everybody does with the language, so it should be part of the language itself. Um, but anyway, uh, and I would get, say, people, I had a, several people say, well, you could use the Symphony 2 HTTP component for that. And that component itself is, sev like, just the code in that is several times larger than the entire Slim framework. And when I look at that, I'm kind of like, so, to, you know what, I'm not, I'm not, it's not like I'm hung up on necessarily, it's just a code, you know, this is, but dude, you know what, if I have to grep across this code base, you know, and I, I, I'm, I just don't, I don't want to introduce this big pile of crap in there anymore. And you know what, fine, everybody else can do whatever they want. That's not what I want. My definition of small and lightweight is clearly not the same as other people's. You know what I mean? 
Absolutely. Like I said, we had this discussion and I had a blog post about this right. and it received a lot of good comments where people are doing the same thing. Well, you can do this or you can do that. And I'm like, you, but I don't want to do that. I expect this is the type of functionality that I think should be part of the core that manipulating uh, requests as they come in should be fundamentally easier than it currently is. When I look at that link on how to handle an incoming put request, my eyes glaze over because I look at that and I say, that's bullshit. I shouldn't, I shouldn't have to, I, I have to, right. the idea that we handle things differently when it's all fundamentally a request, that's, uh, oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, we, we went on. We yeah. we went on about this at the other podcast, so we should right. go on to uh, our our last topic. How are we doing for time, Ed? You think we got time to go uh, on to this? Or yeah, yeah, sure. Out of ranty steam. Okay, yeah, so this time. is so this is a thing that I talk about with my wife all the time because my wife complains. Uh, and as an aside, I can tell you that my wife is on Twitter now, and she's picked what I think is the most appropriate uh, handle: um, Internet Widow, because essentially that's what she's become. Nice, uh, because I spend so much time uh, in the evenings on the computer. And so I, I said to my, my wife, a lot about what I do online and a lot about what this podcast is about and other things that I do is about building the brand. And you have already sort of been through this where you, you're in almost in the, what's the right phrase, the uh, maturation of the Funkatron uh, brand. You've oh, been God. around for a long time with the Funkatron label uh, attached to you and building up the brand. Jesus. And uh, yeah, yeah, you say Jesus, but this is how it is. This is how it looks to me. So not that I'm copying you or nothing. Cause Please don't, because that's I'm, a terrible uh, mistake. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the idea that people need to understand that um, that in order to branch out beyond being anonymous coder and uh, not only get the opportunity to talk about the things that interest you, but connect with people who can get you to do even more interesting things you end up building a brand. So people might disagree with, with me about this, but I'm not really in private, not nearly as caustic and grumpy as I come across on Twitter. Yeah. It's just like, it's a role that I've chosen to play because, um, because it gets me what I, it, it gets me the things that I want uh, in terms of exposure to other people and connections with other people that then allow me to build up uh, my own skill set and my own network of connections so that when I need something, I, I can uh, broadcast it out on Twitter. And almost in every case when I've asked something, within half an hour, I've gotten, the answer, uh, I've gotten an answer about the topic. Right. So, uh, so I, know, I, mean, I haven't uh, been able to go through what you did where you created an open source project, uh, SPAS, that was actually quite successful. And I used to use it all the time. Um, because was, you're was, such a because ni- you're such a nice guy. It was, it and, was so uh, successful. You used to use it. Yeah, so just, <laughs> I was fucking. Yeah. Well, well, once you no longer were involved with it, I said, "Well, that's the end of that." And I just fuck that shit. Off and said, "Fuck that." Ed's not involved anymore. I'm done with this because I, I can't have any influence on his direction now that Ed's not doing it. So, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just the codes open, and anyone can contribute. Yeah. Oh, that's that's such a that's such a hurdle. Yeah, that just hard. having access to the code doesn't mean anything. Happens. It is JavaScript, but, so. You know. <laughs> Again, I would probably do a tornado-based Twitter client. Oh, so, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So I mean, maybe if you want to, you want to talk a bit about your own experiences with with this concept of, and it really is a a, a conscious effort to to build your brand online. Yeah. Um, so, or do you not want? To, or do you not want? To yes, talk? I would love to talk about it. But the right. I think the interesting thing is that is is uh, 
is how Machiavellian you sound uh, when you say, you know, a conscious decision. I, um, the, I don't... But it is conscious. I, I, I don't... I, do, I mean, a lot of this uh, of me on Twitter is me having fun and, and talking shit with people, but right. it, really is, it really is an effort to raise the awareness. I, I know it's... Uh, of course it's Machiavellian. It's also ego-driven as well. Uh, I, I like having people saying stuff back to me and saying right. to me, Oh, I saw this thing you blogged, or I saw this thing you tweeted about, and and it was good, and it's been useful to me. And then I can get into discussions with them about the stuff that they're interested in, and just right. It's so it, it, it's a way because because I feel like at this point I would have a very hard time creating some project from scratch, right? And like like creating my own framework from scratch or whatever. So the way that I can give back is by blasting out my information across the internet. Uh, via Twitter and via my blog, and stimulating discussions, and right. and making pe- and trying to get people latched on, and in a very Machiavellian way, making them feel that the stuff I think is important can be important to them as well. Right. So I I, I totally get that. Now I I think I do all that stuff, and I think I do it for similar reasons, but it really wasn't ever a conscious decision on my part. <laughs> Um, at least in the sense that it was never a conscious, there was never for me, I never thought to myself, if I do this, or at least I rarely thought to myself, if I do this, this will put me in a better, uh, position career wise or financially or stuff like that. Um, wow. I am an asshole, aren't I? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no, uh, maybe I'm just a fool. Um, for me, it's all, it's always been driven by, um, uh, I guess I guess there's two ways of looking at it. I like helping people, and I like, but the same side is I like having my ego stroked a lot, and so it's been driven by I guess those two things. Um, I, you know, uh, I, shit, I don't know. This is this is get, probably going in a weird place, but <laughs> I, you know, I've 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 always made no bones about the fact that I've had issues with like depression and anxiety and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I had a lot of issues with, you know, it, you know, I had a, like kind of a pretty rough junior high experience and, you know, didn't have a lot of friends and stuff like that. And so I, I think maybe more than other people, I'm, I'm sort of hypersensitive to that stuff. And I like I really want people to like me, you know. And I've gotten better about it over the years, but I still think I have a lot of that. And I and and um, I think to some extent that that drives or that's a big reason why I tend to be I'll, I'll sometimes be more open about stuff, or I'll, I tend to jabber a lot on Twitter or things like that. So it's because I really get into that feedback loop of people responding to stuff I'm saying and it sort of feels like it validates me a little bit, you know? Oh yeah. yeah right. No, I mean, I feel, I feel the same way. It's, uh, um, yeah, I'm just probably a little bit more, like you said, Machiavellian uh, <laughs> right. about it. So for, for me, it's just kind of worked out. Like I really didn't, I just did start doing Spazcut. I thought it was fun and, and probably because it tied into, I, I liked Twitter and I want, and I also saw it and I wanted to make a, a client, right? And so it just worked out. Like the timing was just all fine. I mean, I had done a few other things here and they had worked out okay. Like I had done a couple PHP libraries and stuff like that. But there wasn't, but you know, Spaz was different because I think because of 
the way that it tied into stuff I liked about Twitter and about the kinds of, you know, interactions and emotional stuff that that did. Um, hang on a second. I'm getting like a really oh weird. I think I was hearing I've been hearing the phone coming in on your side even though you're yeah, muted. Yeah, it's probably my iPhone which is busy uh, uh, uh charging up. I've tried to move it away. But yeah, don't to, worry. to get to get back to another thing that that you touched on. Uh also, um oh god, no, I've lost it. Um was yeah, the sharing of stuff. It's it's and the wanting to be popular and all that other stuff. And I think you can only really do this building the brand thing that I like to call it if you actually know what you're talking about so that when you're talking about specific topics you don't come across as a buffoon so I mean right. I'm very careful to not try to get too ranty online about topics where I don't already understand the issue so I'm right. usually trying to find another viewpoint uh, so I can look at it and say okay now I thought I used to think X about topic uh, a, so I ask some other people for their thoughts, and I say, "Oh, okay, now I can kind of see a different uh, perspective on that on that issue." So yeah, that's a lot yeah. of, uh, So uh, that's the thing. It's like if you're going to spew shit across the internet on Twitter, you better be prepared to back up um, what you're saying with when the time comes with non-jokey, valid things to say to people. Where you can say, "Well, I know I joke about this particular thing, but you know, go look at what I said a year ago." on the blog or what I said recently because um, uh, how I write on the blog is very different from how I talk on Twitter. So right, again, right. the Machiavellian uh, role-playing stuff, uh, but just <laughs> right, saying that, right. yeah, I mean, it, it's about building a profile and, and you do all these things. And on a, on one level, it is about trying to make myself more visible because there are definitely tangible uh, benefits to it. I, I don't think I'd be have I'd have my job working with Ben if I wasn't the way that I was online to get uh, to get attention. Say over yeah. here, I'd be happy to come and work for you. Right. And uh, you know, and also back it up and say I have these ideas and I get those ideas out there. And and also it is a way of helping people by say it's like, dude, I understand your pain. I understand the thing you're going through. Right. And this is here's what I did about it. And hopefully it can hopefully it can help you. And if I'm wrong, then I would love it if you could show me where I've gone wrong. So I'll update it and I'll change my mind about this about a particular topic. Yeah. So I think you know. I guess that I guess where it, it would get evil is when you're saying stuff you don't actually believe, or you're not willing to, you know, say change your mind in the face of you know <laughs> evidence to the contrary or things like that. Oh, I oh, you know, I, right, no, I, right. I, everything everything I say on Twitter is stuff that I 100 percent believe. So. Uh, um, I always make sure. Yeah, no, I don't want to get. Uh, uh, I have no intentions of becoming uh, um, a shill who's just lying for money. Although I right. did joke that perhaps the next path for me would be evangelism to work for a company building tools to allow people to be SOPA compliant whenever that ball of shit <laughs> is, gets passed by the U.S. Uh, government. But uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, that's yeah. why Twitter is so much fun because as long as you set people up to understand that what you're saying is jokey and there's grains of truth in them. You can have so much more fun with the things that you say. Huh? I was, I was, I was kind of kidding about cutting that, <laughs> cutting that dude's head off. He's here and wants to, or in my case, the RCMP is here and wants to talk to me. I'll be back in a couple minutes. Do they ride in on horses or is it? No, that is a total myth. They only, they but the, the are horse. they mounted? Are they not mounted? <laughs> Ooh, that's what she said. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Are we not mounted? 
No, uh, in uh, no, it's not like Ren and Stimpy at all. The Royal Canadian Yaksmen. No, it's not like that at all. Uh, they only bring them out for parades these days. That's a shame. They're still called the, they're still called the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, but yeah, I uh, I don't believe that uh, uh, equestrian training uh, happens at the uh, at the police academy anymore. That's a pretty big letdown, friend. Yeah. Well, sorry, man. I, I, an uncomfortable truth about Canada. I'm sorry. Christ, it's terrible. <laughs> Um, but so, you know, I have at times told people, well, this is stuff I did and I found that it worked out in terms of helping me career wise. And it is very true that doing the stuff that I did where I said, I'm going to, you know, say, take some code and put it out there and try to talk to people about maybe giving talks about it here or there, or this or that, and, blo- and blogging about stuff you know, showing, you know, how I did stuff. I enjoy doing all those things, but I have also found them. I've also found that I got very tangible uh, benefits in terms of where my career has gone because of it. So I, I think it's very much the case that, yeah, I mean, like you were saying, I, you know, about the job that you've got now, I guarantee you the job I have now, there's no way in hell they would have hired me out of the blue. I mean, so I, 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 I really, I find that, that it's a really good tangible benefit of doing something that I like doing anyway. So that's really awesome. You know what I mean? You get to, so that, that's what I love about doing development and working in open source is that I get to do stuff that I love doing and, and I love sharing it with people and I love talking about it. Um, and, and learning about it and teaching, you know, both. And, I and I get to make enough money that I'm not hungry, right? And I'm not worried about it. So, you know? so the lesson for all the kids listening out there is: do not be afraid to build the brand. Yeah, because I yeah. Be, don't don't be afraid to get out there and do things designed to get attention for yourself. Because if you do it right and you don't become a total shill and uh, one track uh, fanboy, you'll be okay because you will get you'll get your name out there. And that's how it is. If you just if you like being an anonymous and you don't like blogging, hey man, that's cool. I'm not going to force people to to share if they don't want to share. But if you really, again, for purely ego-driven reasons, if you really want to get your game up to the next level, you got to get out there, you got to share, and you got to get your chops up to the level of all those people where you want to be. The people that you want to be, sure, it's like a high school cliquey thing, but if you want to be with the right with the crowd that you want to be with, you got to get your chops up and you got to get out there and say to people. Why give people give people reasons to pay attention to what you're doing? And uh, perhaps I've taken a more selfish view of it than you have, Ed. But I would I think we could both agree that it seems to have worked out for us so far pretty good. Yes, but you are an evil, evil person. I'm an evil man. <laughs> I'm an evil, evil man. You know what? What I, I guess what I found is that you do something that you really like doing, and you like sharing it with other people and talking with them about it, and you're then it just tends people it tends to work out now as long as yeah, you as long as yeah. you come across as genuine and and that there's a personality there and you're not just a paid spokesperson for whatever things right. you're interested in oh you're absolutely right it works out well right. it does work out well so i think the little clock on the wall says that we're just about done i think ed oh yeah yep. before we go i promised i was going to do this before oh yeah someone on uh mateo valentine hopefully i hope you've been listening this mateo. entire time yep. where you slagged on me 
on Twitter saying that my voice didn't match the view. Well, I know that Mateo's a big Yankees fan and I'm a Jays fan, so I'll tell you what, Mateo, fuck you, and the Yankees still fucking suck. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, I will bid you uh, a fond adieu, and uh, I will try to find out for you tomorrow some information on whether the Royal Canadian Mounted Police still run around on horses. Yeah, do they have, like, robot horses or... <laughs> Uh, like now I'm going to be up all night worrying about whether there's robot horses that are going to be waiting for me when I start talking shit about U.S. government policy while in Canada. Yeah, you better watch out because, I mean, I mean, realistically, in 20 years, it's going to just be a, a territory of the U.S. I mean, oh, don't you dare go there, Ed Finkler. <laughs> <laughs> so, on that note, uh, this has been the development hell podcast enjoy it and as always you can track us down on uh, twitter uh, i'm c harchis he's uh, funkatron and we will talk to you guys next devhell.info check it out guys we'll see you